Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to part two of H is for homiletics. I hope you listened to the first part. Homiletics is the preparation and delivery of sermons. And in part one, we talked about preparation, how to write a sermon. And there are very specific and important rules for the preparation of a sermon. And if you don't follow the rules, you're going to end up with a hot mess and you're going to be ineffective as a preacher. And you don't want to be ineffective as a preacher. So learn the rules, follow the rules. Uh, This is not unlike um, a jazz musician, I think of Marsalis Brothers, who started out at Juilliard and learned the rules of classical music and then went into jazz where you break the rules, but you break the rules in specific ways because you know the rules. That's why good jazz works. I don't happen to like jazz, but I understand the dynamic here. You're going to find a lot of pop uh, musicians started out in classical music where they learned music theory and then they deviate from that in creative ways. And there are times for preaching creative sermons. And, and in fact, that was that was a segment, that was a lecture in, uh, in this course that I taught. But you got to start with the rules and for the first 10 years of your preaching ministry, follow the rules. The rules originated with the Greeks. They were, they are considered the uh, originators of of what we call oratory, the public speaking. There, um, we have learned from experience over thousands of years what works and what does not work. And if you don't know those things, you may um, unintentionally be doing things that not only don't work, but are destructive to effective communication. Whereas the preparation of a sermon is, as you probably saw in part one, more of a science, delivery is more of an art. huh? Um, I'm going to make some comparisons as we go along here between the art of preaching, uh, the delivery of the sermon, and the stage in theater, because these things are very much the same. The actor on stage is trying to communicate and connect with his audience in ways that, that resonate. The preacher is trying to do the same thing. In a way, they are both oratory. One of them may be entirely fiction. The other one is truth with a capital T. But effective communication, regardless of the setting, has certain things in common. We want to talk about those. First, I want you to picture an oscilloscope. Do you know what that is? Uh, think about a, um, maybe it's 10 inches diameter circle, all right? And across, horizontally, across this circle, in the middle of the circle, is a, is a line that goes from left to right. Uh, an oscilloscope measures some kind of input. And we're going to have uh, three oscilloscopes. I could do all three on one, but we're going to have three oscilloscopes. And the line across the middle is your normal. Whatever normal is for you, and and your normal and my normal will be different, but that line across the middle of the oscilloscope is normal. The first thing we want to measure is tempo, or words per minute. And let's say that you're typical, and you've never measured this, I've never measured mine, um, but let's say your typical words per minute is 150, okay? If you, were to, if you were to preach at 150 words per minute, it would follow that line across the middle. If you speed up, if you talk faster, the, the, the oscilloscope is going to sh- start showing bumps above the line. If you slow way down for some reason, 
then it's going to, the oscilloscope is going to show peaks down below that line, okay? The important thing is to have variety. Imagine how exciting it would be, how engaging, how riveting it would be if a guy spoke at the same rate the entire sermon, 35 minutes at the same rate. I'd be asleep after five, okay? Five minutes. Um, you should have variation. And if you think of an actor on stage, it depends on what they're saying, but they will speed up if they're excited, if, if there's some sort of conflict going on, or if they're having a great time and they're excited about it, they're at a ball game or something. Their words per minute on that oscilloscope is going to bump above the line. If they're trying to comfort someone, if they've got an upset child who's just had a bad day at school and they pull them into their arms and they talk to them and they talk to them slowly and deliberately so that the child is calmed. Okay, so the first thing we put on our oscilloscope is tempo or words per minute. I can't tell you, I think of the four churches that we are have given not our giving, have given serious consideration to. Two of them had guys that preached like an AK-47. For 35 minutes, it is just blasting out of their mouth. Do you know what effect that has on me? First of all, after about 15 minutes of it, I weary. I'm worn out because of their energy always going so fast. The other thing is that things get lost. They can't emphasize anything by speeding up or slowing down. Tempo, variations in tempo, is one of the ways you emphasize. And again, you can emphasize by speeding up or you can emphasize by slowing down. They lose that tool out of their toolbox. The second oscilloscope measures, the technical word is tenor, but uh, we think of that as a guy that is just above a bass. What it really means is pitch. How high am I speaking? Now, I'm a bass by, uh, by birth. I'm a bass. And so my normal pitch is low, but it doesn't matter, remember? Your normal is that line across the center. And sometimes my pitch is going to go up, and sometimes it's going to drop down. Normally, my pitch will vary with my tempo. If my tempo goes up, my pitch will go up. If my tempo goes down, my pitch will go down accordingly. The third oscilloscope measures volume, and that, again, is used too little. That's one of the things that... Now, listen, I, I listen to contemporary music. I listen, you know, Katy Perry. Uh, I, I listen to all that kind of stuff. Sometimes when I'm working at the golf course, sometimes I'm listening to classical music, Handel or Bach or whatever, and sometimes, depending on the job I'm doing, I need some, some good contemporary music. But one of the things that has struck me about contemporary music is that the oscilloscope is a line across. You know why? Because they have figured out what works. If it is a dance tempo music, trust me on this. Look it up if you want. It is 113 beats per minute. They will go 112 or 114, but it is right smack dab in there. Why? Because they have found out that 113 beats per minute is the perfect dance tempo. The pitch remains the same. Listen to... Uh, Listen to, what's her name? Uh, Kelsey's girlfriend. What does that tell you about my orientation? I think about the football player, not his girlfriend. What's her name? You know who I'm talking about. Um, you will notice that her her high or low pitch, right? They're, they're right there. And the volume stays absolutely the same through the whole song. You listen to a, a piece by Handel 
or, or, or uh, Mendelssohn or whatever, you'll notice that within a given piece, the volume will be loud sometimes and then back off. Contemporary music doesn't do that. It's across. Now, if a pastor does the same tempo, the same pitch, the same volume for 35 minutes, he is giving up. He's sacrificing a ton of the impact that he can have. No stage performer would do that. When I make that comparison, it is not profaning the pulpit. It's about effective communication. And your voice is maybe the most powerful tool in your toolbox as a preacher. Now, I, I, I realize there's some hypocrisy here because when I'm doing a podcast, I'm talking at too fast uh, a words per minute, too fast a tempo, my pitch doesn't change much at all, nor does my volume. In fact, to tell the truth, I've got a button on the software that I'm using that is volume control that keeps me within a fairly narrow range. So there's some hypocrisy here, but I'm not preaching. I'm teaching, and I've got a clock here that is counting down as I talk. So if, if you've heard me preach, I think you'll agree that I use quite a bit of variation because I know that is, as I said, my voice is one of the most powerful tools in my toolbox as a verbal communicator. There's more. You preach with your whole body. I can't believe the number of sermons I've heard over the last six, eight months where the guy stood there too often with his left hand in his pocket. He just stood there. And I think, dude, do you realize what you're giving up? The rule is, rule, yeah, air quotes, the principle is, your body should say the same thing as your mouth. I want you to imagine a box. Um, the upper corners are your two shoulders. The lower corners of the box are your hip bones. You know that pointy hip bone there. That is a box. When you're in conversation with your mother-in-law or your boss or a co-worker or whatever, you, you probably make some hand gestures. If you're talking about something that's wide or long or tall or big or whatever, you use hand gestures. Your hand gestures are within that box. That's just sort of natural. If you're a preacher, I used to tell my guys, get out of the box. Your gestures have to be outsized, oversized, have to be huge. If you're talking about uh, something that is wide, you can't make, you can't put your hands on either side of the box. You've got to extend your arms all the way out. That is what, again, a stage performer does. Why? Because some of those people are sitting 40, 50 feet away, and they're watching you from a distance, and all everything has to be exaggerated. The variations on the oscilloscope need to be exaggerated. Your gestures need to be exaggerated. Now, what's happened is I was a preacher for so many decades that when I'm in a conversation with a coworker, I'm, uh, I talk with my hands, but I do that on purpose. I do that because I was a preacher and I learned that gestures, hand gestures, are another one of my tools. And I got in the habit of talking with my hands. I'm sitting at my desk with a microphone eight inches from my mouth. And if you could see me, you would see that I'm gesturing all over the place as I talk. I'm making circle gestures with my hand when I talk about an oscilloscope. I am I'm putting one hand low and one hand high when I talk about variations on that oscilloscope. I can't help myself. And the problem is when I'm engaging in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I have a tendency to make my hand gestures outside the box. But that's okay. The point is use it all. Use your body. I will move forward and back. I will move left to right. 
uh, on the platform. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to march uh, 10 feet to the right and 10 feet to the left. Maybe it's just going to be two strides, but there are times when movement side to side matches what I'm saying. There are times when I'm going to step forward and times when I'm going to step back. If I'm talking about the big picture, I, the big picture perspective on life, I'm going to take a step or two back. If I'm at my conclusion and I want to talk about how God loves you and he knows what's going on in your life, he cares about what's going on in your life, and he's going to protect and secure you in your life, then I'm going to take a step forward because I, I want to connect with them in a very powerful way. And so... Uh, you make these gestures with your whole body moving from side to side, forward and back, and with your hand. Uh, okay, so here's, an, here's another little thing worth maybe plugging in here. When these guys in the second half of the semester started preaching their sermons, every one of them was videotaped. The routine was they had to come to my office uh, before they preached, and they had to show me their outline. I didn't need all the illustrations and all the verses. I wanted to see the bones of their sermon. And up at the top, um, part one of this, up at the top should be a star with a circle around it, and then their sentence, their thesis, their proposition sentence. And then their main points, and if appropriate, their subpoints. okay? And they could not preach until I signed off on their outline. Hey, these guys are rookies. Some of them have never spoken in public before in their life. So I'm going to lead them through this very deliberately and very carefully. Then they preach their sermon in class, and I videotape it. They do not get a grade on that sermon, no matter how good it was or wasn't. They don't get a grade until they make an appointment, come into my office, and we watch the videotape together. And we've already talked about the preparation part because I signed off on their outline. Now, typically, especially at the beginning of this exercise... We're going to have to sit down and talk through because their proposition has conjunctions in it or their proposition or their interrogative word doesn't make sense or whatever. So we've cleared their outline. Then the reason they have to come to my office afterwards and we watch the videotape together is to analyze their delivery of that sermon and make sure that, for example, they're making gestures and they're moving and they're not standing still and they don't have their hand in their pocket and so forth. And is their body, hand gestures and movement, saying the same thing as their uh, words are? We go through all of that. I'll never forget. I won't, I won't say his name because he's still preaching, and I don't know if he listens to this or not. But I had one guy come in after his first sermon, and we sat down and we watched the videotape together. I didn't say a thing. I cued it up, uh, and, and we just started watching. I didn't make any comments at all. And after it was about halfway done, I stopped it, and I said, well... And his response was, man, I'm boring. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. It was, it was sleep-inducing. Who needs sleep aids when you've got this guy preaching for you? Um, now, what we did was, okay, how can we work on that? How can we fix that? And one of the answers was, involve your whole body. Start moving. And then oscilloscope. All of this stuff. And he really did make, I think, remarkable improvement. And I hope, I hope that is still the case. Um, I don't think we give enough attention to physical preaching, what's going on there. There's a guy, one of the guys we listen to is, is standing there, stock still, feet planted in the ground with his left hand in his pocket, talking to me at a mile a minute for 35 minutes. Oh, goodness, what that guy is giving up. Okay, now he needs some he needs some tutoring in the area of building a proposition about preaching a bullet instead of a shotgun, but but anyhow, yeah, okay?
So here's the deal. Preaching is not a simple task. It's complex. We met with uh, Sheila after church. Um, oh, it's been maybe two months ago. And we were talking about this. Uh, we were talking about the sermon we had all just listened to. And, and I was explaining to her some of the things that... See, being a, a former homiletics prof and going to listen to sermons is a little like a chef going out to eat. You can't help but look at that critically. And I have to remind myself, just back off, buddy, because God, God can use this fella... Um, and he doesn't have to do it the way you think it should be done. Anyhow, I was talking about, and at one point Sheila interrupted me, and she says, well, this, is, this is really complicated. This is an art, isn't it? And the answer is, absolutely it is. It is both science and art. And some guys have it, and frankly, some guys don't. The vast majority of us are somewhere in the middle, and we need training. Okay, listen, Michael Jordan had coaches, right? Pete Sampras had coaches, Uh all of these athletes who had incredible natural abilities still had coaches to teach them some of the time-proven tricks of this particular sport. Musicians, some people just have it inside them. That doesn't mean they don't. Okay, so my mom was, was really a classically trained musician, piano and organ. was really remarkable, and I wish I had paid more attention to her playing both at the piano and the organ. And she taught lessons, and she would typically have maybe six students at a time. And I remember her talking about Becky has it. She just has it. We just need to develop it. And then she would have, she would have some, <laughs> I remember names and I won't mention them, but she, boy, there's, there's almost no point here, okay? I'm sorry, God gives some people the, the gift of, of public communication, public speaking. Uh, they still need to learn the, the techniques, the rules, the principles of doing it effectively. Some of them will make progress, some of them won't. And the ones that won't, hey, some guy that wants to preach in the worst way usually does. People who want to preach in the worst way usually do. They covet preaching so much um, that they cannot understand that maybe God has not given them the gifts of public speaking. The other thing that I think we need, we need to think about and talk about is, is who can and can't and who should and who should not preach. Um, I may have a, a very good plumber that I can call upon and, and rely to be trustworthy and to do the work, to do it well and not do more that's necessary, but do all that's necessary. He may be a very good plumber, but by George, I'm not letting him take my gallbladder out, okay? There is another, this is another movement within the contemporary evangelical church to call elders pastors. Have you noticed that? <clears throat> a few of the churches we visited do that. Um, Pastor Ralph is going to be preaching this morning. Now, I know from looking at the website that Ralph is an elder, and it is absolutely correct that the Bible says if you're an elder, you're a pastor, and if you're a pastor, you're an overseer, that those three terms are used interchangeably. So it is not technically incorrect to call him a pastor. However, in contemporary usage, the word pastor carries the uh, connotation, maybe the, even the denotation, of the guy who is assigned to preach. And Ralph gets up and frankly makes a mess of this thing. It, it's, it's, it's just terrible. And people walk out of there, and you see, you are too gracious. You walk out of there thinking the problem is with you because you didn't get anything out of that sermon. And I'm going to suggest to you maybe the problem is not you. Maybe the problem is the preacher. But anyhow, we're turning the pulpit over to guys who have no training. 
and that is the equivalent of letting my plumber take out my gallbladder. Uh, <laughs> I want to say, say to guys who preach, when you step up to preach, it used to be step into the pulpit, but nobody use, uses pulpits anymore. When you get up to preach, take off your shoes, for you stand on holy ground. T- to stand there and have people listen to you for 35 minutes while you proclaim, Thus saith the Lord, that is holy ground. And to think that because you love God and know the Bible a little bit means you're equipped to preach is, is bogus and dangerous, and it profanes the art and science of preaching. It profanes the preaching exercise. This is not something we should do casually. This is not something we should turn over to someone who doesn't know what they're doing and how it should be done. There are, there are one individual in a thousand, maybe in 10,000, who has, who has the ability, the God-given gift in such great measure that without, without a specific training, they can get up and preach the Word of God and do it effectively, but they are one in 10,000. I'm, I'm just discouraged. I'm discouraged that we have so demeaned the exercise of preaching that we turn it over to almost anyone who loves God and knows the Word, and we say, hey, bring the Word this Sunday because pastor's going to be on vacation. Or, you're an elder. We want the people to see you as an elder, and they will see you as an elder if you preach to them. That is well-intentioned, but it, I think it profanes the pulpit. You understand what I mean by that? Okay. I wish we could recover good preaching. Uh, I've done some research, and as it turns out, seminaries are discounting the amount of hours that their guys take in preaching. Um, When I was teaching, they took this one semester course that was three hours, and then they had to take three one-hour courses that were practice preaching in the various genre. And now they take one, too many seminaries, they take one two-hour course and call it good. Again, there's another case of how we have diminished the sacred role of Paul to Timothy. Preach the word. Okay, there it is. Uh, I, hope, I hope this is a ton less of a rant than the one that I first prepared and then ditched because I, I, was, I was not very kind, all right? So, so here you go. Go into this Sunday's sermon uh, whenever you're listening to this. Go into this Sunday's sermon and listen for a bullet. Then see if you can discover the interrogative word. This is from part one. And then the main points. And when you come out, ask yourself on the drive home, can I give that sermon in one sentence? And and then fill it out. And, and what does he want me to do with it? What is the bring it on home? How is my life supposed to be different because I encounter the word of God as that man brought it to me? I hope that this peek behind the curtain makes you a better sermon listener. Hey, God bless.